one of the topics we covered in our What is a Disciple series is that disciples live in community. And we defined that community as a family. There's another attribute of the community that's relevant for us, especially today. God's community is a living community. This sermon may be late, but I didn't feel equipped to preach it a year ago. Now we all have more information, experience, and hopefully have grown so we can look back and look forward, expressing ourselves both logically and emotionally, because we still have work to do in our society and in the church. In our application today, we're going to discuss COVID-19 protocols, both what we've experienced in the past and what we see going forward. For those of us meeting in person, we will take breaks during the sermon to have open discussion. For people online, you can use the chat. By the end of the sermon, I want us to easily unpack the historical and contemporary meaning of Hebrews 13, 11 through 13. To do that, we need to unpack Israelite history that those verses in Hebrews arise from. Let's first take a look at the Israelite camp set up from Numbers chapter 2. The ancient Israelites probably traveled and camped loosely in this manner before it was formalized in the law. But here it is how the law laid out their camp. In the center is the tabernacle with the tribe of Levi camped around it. Around the center... Twelve other tribes, the tribe of Joseph being split into the two parts of Ephraim and Manasseh, are camped with three tribes on each side, north, east, south, and west. It's straightforward, having both religious and military defense applications. But in just seeing the camp in its final form, we miss part of the redemption story that's a part of God's camp. Let's read Leviticus 13, 1 through 8, and, 14, and 45 and 46. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, When a person has a swelling, scab, or spot on the skin of his body, and it may be a serious disease on the skin of his body, he is to be brought to the priest, Aaron, or to one of his sons, the priests. The priest will examine the sore on the skin of his body. If the hair in the sore has turned white, and the sore appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is, in fact, a serious skin disease. After the priest examines him, he must pronounce him unclean. But if the spot on the skin of his body is white and does not appear to be deeper than the skin, and the hair on it has not turned white, the priest will quarantine the stricken person for seven days. The priest will then re-examine him on the seventh day. If he sees that the sore remains unchanged and has not spread on the skin, the priest will quarantine him for another seven days. The priest will examine him again on the seventh day. If the sore has faded and is not spread on the skin, the priest is to pronounce him clean. It is a scab. The person is to wash his clothes and will become clean. But if the scab spreads further on his skin after he has presented himself to the priest for his cleansing, he is to present himself again to the priest. The priest will examine him, and if the scab has spread on the skin, then the priest must pronounce him unclean. He has a serious skin disease. Verse 45. The person who has a case of serious skin disease is to have his clothes torn and his hair hanging loose, and he must cover his mouth and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! He will remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He must live alone in a place outside the camp. 
The thing that is missing from the illustration of the Israelite camp is what happens outside the camp. The unclean went outside the camp. When disease comes into the camp, notice the actions that God wants the people to take. They are cautious. When they don't know what something is, they assume it's bad and contagious. They might be overreacting, but better that than to let disease enter the camp. They investigate. The priest checks the person against symptoms that they know. They isolate the person for seven days and then recheck the symptoms. If things aren't getting better, or they isolate the person for another seven days, and then they recheck again. If any check of the person is better, they can return from isolation. But if they remain sick or diseased, they are declared unclean. Those declared unclean have to move outside of the camp. People living outside of the camp is something not pictured in the Numbers chapter 2 model of the Israelite camp. Leviticus 15.31 says, You must keep the Israelites from their uncleanliness, so that they do not die by defiling my tabernacle that is among them. Physical and ritual uncleanliness is to be kept away from God, whose presence is in the tabernacle. Otherwise, the people will die. They may die from God's judgment, or they may die from the spread of disease. There is also a spiritual or symbolic reason for the separation of the unclean. What's the worst disease someone can bring into the community? Leprosy? Whooping cough? Polio? Smallpox? Bubonic plague? A sexually transmitted disease? No. The worst disease a person brings into the community is sin, disobedience to God. The wages of sin are death, Romans 6.23. Ritually, sin must also be taken out of the camp. The priest can regularly check on sick people outside the camp because when there's a sin sacrifice, the sacrifice is burned by the priest outside of the camp, Leviticus 16.27. The bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering whose blood was brought into the most holy place to make atonement must be brought outside the camp and their hide, flesh, and waste burned. With this sacrificial ritual also occurring outside the camp, we can see two practical reasons, both equally important, for isolation and removal of unclean people. The law was given to both protect the rest of the people in the community and to heal and eventually restore the unclean person. Sacrifices are made to restore people to right relationships. Separation from the community of God was a reminder that all sickness is a result of living in a world separated from God. Adam and Eve were removed from the garden of God not because they had a cough or coronavirus, but because they were disobedient. Sin must be removed from the community, just as the priest symbolically removed sin from the community by taking the sin offering outside of the camp and burning it. God also made a sacrifice for Adam and Eve, covering them with animal skins, while giving them a promise of the restoration of humanity. The law in Leviticus goes on to explain the restoration process of someone who was previously unclean, and it involves sacrifice. Leviticus 14, 1-9 The Lord spoke to Moses, This is the law concerning the person afflicted with a skin disease. On the day of his cleansing, he is to be brought to the priest who will go outside the camp and examine him. 
If the skin disease has disappeared from the afflicted person, the priest will order that two live, clean birds, cedar wood, scarlet yarn, and hyssop be brought for the one who is to be cleansed. Then the priest will order that one of the birds be slaughtered over fresh water in a clay pot. He is to take the live bird together with the cedar wood, scarlet yarn, and hyssop and dip them into all and dip them into all the blood of the bird that was slaughtered over the fresh water. He will then sprinkle the blood seven times on the one who is to be cleansed from the skin disease. He is to pronounce him clean and release the live bird over the open countryside. The one who is to be cleansed must wash his clothes, shave off all his hair, and bathe with water. He is clean. Afterward, he may enter the camp, but he must remain outside his tent for seven days. He is to... He is to shave off all his hair again on the seventh day, his head, his beard, his eyebrows, and the rest of his hair. He is to wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. He is clean. In this, we have a biblical example of people trying to avoid a pandemic spread. The plan was isolation, repeated investigation, and restoration. It sounds really simple, and it is, but as with anything of this magnitude, there is a lot of emotion and uncertainty that comes with the implementation. People were upset a year ago about being told to wear masks and shut down their businesses and sending children home for remote learning. People are still very upset about our situation. Last Monday, as a protest, Virginia Brown sped her car through a medical tent where people were receiving their COVID-19 vaccinations as she screamed, No vaccine! We can look at the situation logically and ask ourselves, what is more likely to hurt or kill someone? Wearing a mask, getting sick from COVID-19, a COVID-19 vaccination, or a car speeding through a tent full of people? But our emotions often trump our logic, at least initially. And as I said, I couldn't preach this sermon a year ago because I couldn't be sure my emotions wouldn't trump my logic, or even worse, trump the Spirit of God. Remembering that the default action to uncleanness was to overreact and then check back later, how do you think people felt in ancient Israel when they were told they had to isolate themselves or even move out of the camp? And then with that, how did you feel just over a year ago when our government, not for a scriptural reasons and maybe in an overreaction, we don't know for sure, told us all to isolate? And in what ways has your thinking changed over the last year? And then I wonder for the church, last year did we miss opportunities to teach people about the ramifications of separation from God? And how can we do better going forward? Is there a way we can use this to share God's salvation story with others? We still need to get to a minimum of 70% of people vaccinated to achieve community immunity with children under 12 not even approved for vaccinations yet. Does the Israelite law idea of protecting the community over protecting my own rights affect how you feel about taking the COVID-19 vaccine? For me, my first thought is Jesus sent out his disciples to heal people of all kinds of diseases, physical and spiritual, as they proclaimed the kingdom of God was near. My message and actions need to be about healing, not spreading disease, be that a virus 
or violence. Some Christians seem to be quick to call disease God's judgment for sin, but not always as quick to bring the healing. Healing takes work and risk, but it's worth the work and risk because that's what God does. The people outside the camp of Israel were not out there alone. Let's read Exodus 33, 7-10. Now Moses took a tent and pitched it outside the camp, at a distance from the camp. He called it the tent of meeting. Anyone who wanted to consult the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting that was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would stand up, each one at the door of his tent, and they would watch Moses until he entered the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and remain at the entrance of the tent, and, and the Lord would speak with Moses. As all the people saw the pillar of cloud remaining at the entrance to the, to the tent, they would stand up, then bow and worship, each one at the door of his tent. Before the tabernacle was built, God went outside the camp. Exodus 33 takes place after Moses brings down the Ten Commandments, only to find the people worshiping the golden calf idol. From that point on, Moses doesn't go up the mountain to talk with God. Moses sets up a tent to meet with God, the tent of meeting. Notice where Moses pitches the tent of meeting, outside the camp. Remember from Numbers chapter 2 that the ideal is God placed at the center of the camp. But here God is outside the camp. God is outside the camp because there is sin and disobedience in the camp. If we were to read the whole chapter, we'd see that the choice is either God kills everyone because they are all unclean in his presence, or God removes his presence. However, God only removes his presence from those who are unclean because of sin and disobedience, because there are still people living outside the camp, those who are unclean because of disease instead of willful disobedience. Jesus does the same thing in Luke 5:29-32, which says, Then Levi hosted a grand banquet for him at his house. Now there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were guests with them, but the Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus replied to them, It is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In the Gospels, Jesus talks with the Pharisees. He often calls them hypocrites because they are willfully disobedient. But Jesus hangs out with the unclean and sick, those who need healing and are willing to repent. The people outside the camp are physically unclean, but they can be cleansed, perhaps over time by their own immune systems, or medicine, or even a miracle. But the people inside the camp are diseased with sin. No amount of time is going to cleanse that. They need a cure. They need to repent. And they need a sacrifice. Because of seating capacity restrictions going away last Friday, we've gone from having 42 chairs in the sanctuary to 92 chairs. We can fit a lot more people in here. I hope we do invite and draw more people here. But I'd gladly give up having a church full of people on Sunday in order to have our community outside these walls
full of the church Monday through Saturday. God does not call me to live only inside this camp. The great thing is, it's not an either-or proposition. The church can be full of people, and the community can also be full of the church. If God separates from willful sinners, but moves into the place where the unclean need a healer, where are we supposed to be living and doing ministry? God may dwell with the unclean, but God doesn't leave them unclean. God cleanses the camp. In Exodus chapter 40, the tabernacle is built, and look what happens. Exodus 40, verse 6 and 32. Position the altar of burnt offerings in front of the entrance of the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. The cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Once the tabernacle is built, it takes on the name designation of the tent of meeting. It appears that Moses no longer meets with God outside of the camp, but in the center of the camp. After this, when people sin, such as Korah in Numbers chapter 16, God doesn't leave the camp. Instead, the people are brought to God for judgment, and God removes the sin. Read this quickly. Numbers 16, 18 through 24, and 32 through 33. Each man took his fire pan and placed fire in it, put incense in it, and stood at the entrance of the tent of meeting along with Moses and Aaron. After Korah assembled the whole community against them at the entrance to the tent of meeting, the glory of the Lord appeared to the whole community. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, Separate yourselves from this community so that I may consume them instantly. But Moses and Aaron fell face down and said, God, God who gives breath to all, when one man sins, will you vent your wrath on the whole community? The Lord replied to Moses, Tell the community, get away from the dwellings of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Verse 32. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed them and their household, all Korah's people and all their possessions. They went down alive into Sheol with all that belonged to them. The earth closed over them, and they vanished from the assembly. To summarize, in ancient Israel, the unclean went outside the camp. That didn't prevent God from also going outside the camp, especially when the whole camp sinned. However, it was God's desire and purpose to restore the whole community to cleanliness and right relationship with him. This is what points us to Jesus and our explanation of Hebrews 13, 11-13, which says, For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the most holy place by the high priest as a sin offering are burned outside the camp. Therefore Jesus also suffered outside the gate so that he might sanctify the people by his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp bearing his disgrace. The crucifixion of Jesus took place on Golgotha, a hill outside the city gate of Jerusalem. There he became the sin offering. And where are we told to go? To him outside the camp. Outside the camp is a disgraceful place. It's where the unclean live. It's where criminals are executed. It's also where sin and disobedience are removed and people are healed. So, so that they can be restored to a right relationship with God and the whole community. 
I think it's great that we have taken time, money, and energy to fix up the Hartwood Church facility. I would rightly be proud if if we got a landscaping uh, our landscaping fixed up enough to win our city's Acorn Award for making public spaces in our city look good. But weeds always come back, and plaques don't really mean that much to me. Hebrews 11.13 says we should follow Jesus outside and share his disgrace. I don't think our landscaping needs to be a disgrace. But if Pharisee-type people look down on me because we work with people from First Care Pregnancy Center, people who need donated baby wipes, diapers, clothing, equipment, and instruction in order to keep their families together, well then I'll gladly bear that disgrace. If people look down on me because we work with people from Tubman who've been abused, are homeless, are dealing with addictions or other trauma, I'll bear that disgrace. If this culture is, or excuse me, if this church is full of people that other people don't want, I'll bear that disgrace. I got the COVID-19 vaccine. I didn't do it because I was afraid of getting sick. I didn't do it because the government compelled me to. I got it because I want to spread life, not sickness. By getting the vaccine, I can freely go anywhere to share the name of Jesus. If someone wants to shame me for that, I'll bear that disgrace. And if people say I'm intolerant because I believe the change from being unclean to clean, the change from being disobedient to obedient, from violent to peacemaker, from death to life, only comes through the blood of Jesus, I'll proudly bear that disgrace as well. If Jesus took the cross to make me clean before God, I can take a shot. Let's pray from Psalm 29. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name and worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The Lord gives his people strength. The Lord blesses his people with peace. Mighty God, we thank you for placing your spirit in us by your covenant. We ask for the Holy Spirit's empowerment and movement for us to walk in the spirit and to work in the lives of those we come into contact with to prepare them to receive the good news. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our cleanser. Amen. I leave you with this blessing. Go forth to live as disciples, serving God with your whole being, knowing that you are empowered by the Holy Spirit to do great exploits in God's name.